0: Welcome to the CBGS podcast, brought to you by Aspen Waits. This episode is entitled "Lost in Space." <laughs> <laughs> you fool! <laughs> We're going to be uh, discussing some interesting things with you today. And Paul's been doing a lot of research, haven't you, Paul? Over the, over the week,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I always do lots of research. Yeah, so. yeah you're a, a research man. I'm a
0: research man. But we had we had a really interesting conversation in the office yesterday. About about space. And it gave us a bit of inspiration for this podcast episode. Did it? Hmm. Well, it gave me a bit of inspiration for pretty... <laughs>
1: <laughs> My, my favourite programme uh, over the last few weeks has been Brian Cox's mm-hmm. uh, brilliant series about the planets. Uh, as a, really, from... Is that on Netflix? It was on BBC. Oh, it was on BBC, cool. So, um, right from a very early age, as long as I can remember, really, you know, sort of, probably five even... Always been fascinated by astronomy, so uh, I had you know my little binoculars when I was about seven as as my Christmas present, and um, probably knew more uh, when I was ten than I do now, actually, because I was so (laughs) interested in it. So, what's been uh, I've really really enjoyed. I mean, Brian Cox is such a cool bloke. I mean, apart from being uh, an exceptionally brilliant scientist, he was also a member of a leading rock band in the 80s who uh, which name escapes me at the moment but, Oh, uh, was he? Yeah, he was yeah. I didn't realise that <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah with long hair and 80s Rockstar hair Rockstar gone scientist <laughs> Yeah Oh, wow <laughs> Yeah, he wasn't the main man but mm. um, He I is now <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, very good, yeah <laughs> So, um, yeah the, well, what's been really fascinating about um, the Planet series is uh, I was surprised by how many things I didn't know or how many things um, have only been learnt yeah, in new the last few years and probably more relevant um, things that people still don't know. So for instance uh, all the planets go round the sun in the same way apart from Venus and Neptune oh, wow. but nobody knows why they go round the other way um things like one of, tri- one of new Newton- <laughs> one of neptune's moons called Triton um uh basically goes round neptune the wrong way round mm. so they th- so in that one they 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 think that almost certainly that triton uh wasn't originally in neptune's system it was captured by the gravitational pull of neptune uh and then just in. went on his own. Course. And it's actually <laughs> that, to start off with, it actually went round in an uneven orbit oh, because okay. it was a, it was a um, visitor, shall we say? Mm. And then over a millennia, millions of years, it went from like a a big, overly big, overly sort of the yeah. elliptic, massively uh, elongated, elliptical thing, where probably Triton would get reasonably close to Neptune and then quite far away mm. to a. Traditional, sort of more circular orbit, albeit the wrong way round. Mm-hmm. So for instance, you know, there's things, there's features on Pluto which people didn't expect. Um, the fact that Neptune is warmer than Saturn is, even though it's Close, two uh, two billion years further away mm, from the sun. Is it because of the fluctuating temperatures on or, uh, on? It's, it's 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 all to do with things like. Atmosphere. um the composition of the planet and its mm. core. Mm. Ah, okay. uh, So Neptune has the strongest winds of any uh, celestial being that's ever been recorded. Uh, winds of up to 10,000 miles an hour. Wow. <laughs> and that's caused by, uh, they only get something like 4% as much sunlight as we do, but that sunlight is enough to activate, because Neptune is basically um, uh, a ball of liquid with with a gas layer, gaseous layer the sun the, the sun that does come in comes in comes in and acts on the, the chemicals and basically creates a reaction the
0: reaction
1: oh wow and you and just have massive storms and these and the reason why the wind is is uncontrolled is because there's nothing to stop it in, in, on, on the earth you've got the mountains mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. other features whereas it's just flat and there really aren't any liquid mountains Drew, <laughs> as Drew was trying to point out to me yesterday and of course <laughs> the other thing that is really interesting is is um, you know probably most people would be familiar with the term light year, for instance. You know, we might say you know, um, and, and 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 I would imagine that a few people would know what the speed of light was. Ooh. Perhaps <laughs> you know, <laughs> 76,000 miles a second. I think it is. Wow. Um. So, but how many people actually know what a light year really means? It's ne- it's nearly ten thousand kilometers, isn't it? It's 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 uh, nine point six trillion miles. Six trillion miles, wow! <laughs> so Pluto is something like four light hours away from Earth.
0: Mm.
1: So I don't know something like uh, a light year would have to be like two hundred times further away for it to be a light year, yeah, something mm. like that. Mm. Ridiculous! Wow, because
0: I know the, I know the furthest uh, or what's the closest star is four point. 4.3?
1: Proxima Centauri. Yeah, 4.3 light years? Is it, uh, I I, I had a feeling it was 2.4, but. Uh, oh, okay. No, <laughs> I thought that was. Used to argue too much about yeah. 1.9 light years. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's about 5.8 thousand
0: miles, apparently. For that, yeah, 5, yeah, at the moment.
1: So it took, it took um, roughly 10 years. For uh, the probe whose name I, I, I can't remember, mm. it took te- just under 10 years for it to fly to Pluto. Wow. So, for it to get to uh, Alpha Sen- Proxima Centauri or Alpha Centauri, which is a neighboring planet, uh-huh. um, would therefore take something like I don't know, a couple of thousand years. Yeah. I was
0: still blown away, by the fact the fact that we can get images back from these from these these distances, you know, like uh, through radio waves, and c- it takes ten years to get there, but you can send the, the picture back in a second. <laughs> you know, for the for the probe to actually travel. No, that's, there. that's
1: actually that's, that's one of your more observant points. That's a, Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, that's, that's uh, quite, well, I think I think I think what what blew your brain yesterday, if I remember, was the fact mm-hmm. that um, people sitting in America could turn on and turn off a spacecraft that was yeah exactly that's what i mean 4 billion miles away yeah that
0: connection um between those two I mean, things mean quite freaky isn't yeah, it yeah it's just that there's the there's the speed of that we can travel but then there's those speeds which are just completely
1: <laughs> something else radio waves Some, something that um my son Callum raised, I believe, talking to Drew earlier in the week, which, Ooh, which I makes, love for this a, bit. makes for a really, really cool um, scientific debate. <laughs> Dinosaurs in space, yeah. So uh, Callum uh, said to Drew that uh, uh, he believed that if an alien. Um, <coughs> if an alien. Obviously, it had to be the right distance from the from our like planet. Pleiades. Uh, so, <laughs> Playa's a system, mate. Pleiades. Uh, Pleiades is There's that, loads of aliens in Pleiades. I don't know. <laughs> small animals and, and Drews don't work with them. <laughs> um, so, obviously, um, it, the, the, the dinosaurs were wiped out 50 million years ago. I, don't, I can't remember how much of, what it was. Say so it was 50 million years ago, anyway. So, in order for Callum's uh, point to work, the the planet these aliens were were standing on or whatever they... Because it depends, obviously, as you rightly said, they could be made of... They may not be um, carbon-type aliens. Mm. Whatever planet... But what we were saying is the the speed that it would take for light to travel
0: to those aliens from the Earth, then it would... When they were actually looking at it, they'd be seeing
1: dinosaurs. Yeah, that's what I was saying. The planet would have to be... uh, the right number of light years away for it to coincide with 50 million years. Yeah, like More yeah. than 50 million years. Anyway, so what the point was, is uh, assuming that that, you know, we don't worry really get too banged up about where, where it is and all that, could those people technically, if they had the right uh, equipment, actually observe dinosaurs walking on the earth? That was the question. Mm. Uh, and the answer is, technically, as a scientific concept, yes. Mm. However... Um, so this has actually been um, subject to detailed calculation. Uh, it has been estimated that in order for the alien uh, to be able to see the dinosaur, uh, it would require a telescope that would be 4.4 light years across. <laughs> so to put that into perspective, we are talking about several trillion miles across. Yeah,
0: that's mad. many
1: trillions of miles across. Mm. So obviously, um, so the answer is really in, in practice, you couldn't.
0: Unfortunately, not. But <laughs> the theory's there. Because, like, because it's you know, like you said about uh, the stars that we're seeing in the sky. Some of them might even be gone because um, uh, the light. we are seeing. Gone. Yeah, they are gone because it's uh, the argon, light that we're seeing. Argon. <laughs> how many worlds are made of argon. Do you think? Well, many. Right, practically none, I would suggest. Uh, okay. <laughs> well there's no actual way for scientists to know or anyone to know how many stars there actually are in the universe which is crazy Perhaps
1: someone's made some calculation about that
0: the, the par- apparently it's too you, you can't it's just impossible well to... probably more than there are grains of sand on the beach mm, that's what I mean so there's probably a few argon planets in all that
1: <laughs> well I, I, I will take you on on that one but, uh, so anyway yeah, yeah go on Oh, oh no! Go on, go on sorry. No, I was just going to say. So I think you know one of the one of the great things about great people like Brian Cox is is and I, and, and I like to think that I, I might do the same in some small way in business is 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 that um, he certainly inspired me uh, to to want to learn more and and uh, I've always felt a bit uh, cheated on Pluto's behalf when it was um, mm-hmm. demoted. Uh, to being a minor body, and it was it was, it was it had its planet status removed from it, which I think is grossly unfair. Especially the reason that was given, which is that um, if you go beyond uh, Neptune um, into what's called the Kuiper Belt, K U I P E R, which is basically the end of our solar system. Okay, um, and this is something I didn't know until this week. So the 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 final. Solid object in our solar system is called Ultima Themi, I think it is, or Themi, mm-hmm. which is something like twenty-three kilometers across. It's a very misshapen, sort of rock-like thing. Um, and then there's a a, a a planetoid, whatever you want to call it, roughly the same size of Pluto, called something like Eris, is it? Uh, so I think that they thought that if Pluto was a planet then Eris had to be a planet so therefore best thing was neither of them was oh okay you know but I I don't really buy that and of course what's been really interesting is because we have now you know we have now managed to get to Pluto Uh, Pluto defied all prediction in terms of what it was like its surface Mm. um, how it behaved what what it was made of what was inside it Mm. all those sort of things you know so it's actually um, incredibly fascinating little planet, as I'm still going to call it. I'm pleased to see Brian Cox agreed with me. He uh, he, he he also thinks it should be a planet. So uh, there's something rather nice about Pluto. It's sort of like um, conjures up again for my love of Greek myths and legends. It's a bit like Hades, the god of the underworld, or something. You know, it's mm. like you know you go past Pluto and then you went to hell or something. But, <laughs> you know. You know what I mean? Mm. Because you've got Mercury at the top, which is like the messenger, isn't it? Mm. Hmm? Mercury, the messenger. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, so it's, yeah, it's really, really, really fascinating. So I am swatting up on how far everything was away from everything last night as well, mm. so, which is quite interesting.
0: Ah, oh, nice. And um, in astrology, we, Pluto plays a, a big part in um, what people would like... Um, Race of the gods would would Pluto be one of the one of the gods? In I wouldn't the, think so. No, it uh, wasn't found
1: until 1930 uh, by okay. by uh, 30 or 31. In the case of one year out, mm. um, it was discovered by an amateur American. Oh, we love this story actually. It was discovered by an amateur American astronomer. Uh, an interesting name. Uh, he used to um, he used to record. He used to take photos through his little equipment. Uh, of the night sky, and then he, he he would compare the sky every day, and he found a little dot. Mm. One day, oh, what is this? <laughs> wow. So he's accredited with finding founding Pluto, and this is a lovely story. He died at the age of like ninety-two, two years before the probe went to Pluto, mm. and the probe went to Pluto with his ashes. Oh wow! Oh wow! So the guy that actually discovered, discovered Pluto, yeah, his ashes. Math. Ascent um, up in the probe that went to Pluto, and obviously, he's never going to come back.
0: Wow,
1: because the probe went past Pluto. Uh, that's how I've seen pictures of Ultima Theme or whatever it is, mm. and went out all the way through the Kuiper Belt.
0: Oh, so it didn't stop it. Oh, is that what you said? They they, um, they turn, turned it off and left it running, or so they turned
1: it off and it went past Neptune. Ah, okay, uh-huh. so basically went to billion years something like two billion miles sorry (laughs) (laughs) two billion miles um, with its power off Mm. powered up when it got near Pluto and then obviously when it it, um, took all the photos etc of Pluto unfortunately it only took Pluto hadn't it wasn't there long enough for Pluto to do a full turn Uh, so we've only ever seen half of the planet Mm. Um, anyway uh, it then went on um, out into the Kuiper belt uh and beyond beyond <laughs> uh, hopefully we'll get to
0: Luke Skywalker or find yeah, it or something out into the Kuiper belt and beyond <laughs> yeah it's really cool isn't it and and how much do you think a, a NASA spacesuit costs <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know this I hope yeah <laughs> three million pounds mm. 10 million pounds oh a little bit
0: 12 million pounds that's it (laughs) oh no sorry 12 million um, dollars Uh, so probably yeah like 9 or 10 9, 10
1: million pounds that's a lot isn't it it's his old chap yeah anyway so it's um, been nice to talk about uh,
0: (laughs) yeah so that's uh, some science some some science and space we'll go on to um, Aspen Weight News because why not (laughs) (laughs) well why not
1: yeah because so this is the Aspen as, Weight podcast it's as interesting all. as a light year though
0: yeah uh, yeah I think so <laughs> what, what's the what's the most in-
1: exciting things that are happening for Aspen Aspenweight at the moment the Accountancy Award nom- uh, shortlist Ooh, was again. announced yesterday oh yeah and um, Aspen Weight were nominated uh, for the fourth time in fifth year fourth time in fifth years <laughs> <laughs> fourth time in five years as best from southwest. oh nice and uh uh, and probably, from my point of view, even more pleasingly, um, we were also nominated as best firm in Wales. Mm. Debut for the yaki Boys. Well done, Darren. Oh, <laughs> I'm not sure. I think I might be Rachel and, there. And... Hey, really? <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> well, say well done to Darren. He's doing well. Say, do well done, Yeah, well done, buddy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're a natural. <laughs> oh, that's great. So, obviously, I think, um, I don't know, but probably the only firm to um, be nominated in two separate categories. Mm. We did actually, I think it might have been last year, we got nominated for Best Firm and Best Project. Um, I, once again, spectacularly failed to make Best Partner, which upset me. Oh. (laughs) Well, to get in two of the others is... uh, You wonder what you have to do, to be honest with you. Yeah. uh, But, but yeah, so that's... It's obviously, you know, without considering the thousands of firms um it's actually a spectacular achievement to be um the UK Accountancy Awards are obviously the you know like the FA Cup of Accountancy Awards mm, you know mm. um so I mean even the fact that we can put finalists yeah. up on our website in uh, our, our email signatures is you know something um well it's almost like a badge of pride and um credibility I suppose isn't mm-hmm. it so that's probably the most interesting thing that's happened this week um, also um, Aspenweight corporate finance is formally going to be properly formed soon mm-hmm. um, so uh, you know, we'll, we'll actually have the real the all round deal offering which is going to tra- transform Aspenweight I think incredibly excited about that oh, nice. haven't quite finished all the negotiation with my mm-hmm. pal Perry Lewis yet mm-hmm. so uh, watch this space on that one uh tremendous amount of hard work. Probably most people in Aspen Way have been working really hard this week with deadlines and uh, lots of cool stuff. So, um, yeah, it's been a, an interesting week, Mr. Drew. Mm. And uh, we actually asked some
0: of the um, employees, or all of the employees, actually sent a message out to all
1: staff, or the,
0: to the team, or to, to staff, the family, to the Aspen Waite family. We sent a call out to the Aspen Waite family, cousins. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> about um, what they would like to hear us um, discuss on the podcast, and we got a few, we got interesting responses back from people, <laughs> mm. um, and there was one from Tom Keatley. Uh, what does Tom? Actually, uh, what does Tom do? Yeah, I
1: wonder that, right? that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had a chance to speak mm. to Tom before so. yeah no yeah, very people do um, <laughs> Tom is uh, actually in charge of audit oh, okay. for the whole of Aspen Way mm. so he's um, uh, so being serious for a minute he's made a tremendous contribution to um, to the firm uh, massive actually uh, which he does fits in with his his, his onerous duties he's effectively uh, Chris Chris Chris, Chris <laughs> Coulter's successor <laughs> in the Southwark office down near Fareham, So um, Tom's a good accountant uh, and our audit specialist. Oh, wow. Okay. And he <clears throat> he sent in um, a question
0: or a topic of discussion yeah, about... Yeah, far too far too intelligent, that uh, one, for me. <laughs> discoveries um, that have been made by accident during research and development, um, mm. like things that have been happening. And he talked about um, Pilkington's glass... Where, um, where during r and D, a a large flood caused water to fall onto the glass conveyor belt and the glass floated on it. Um, which uh, the glass was much stronger and thinner than previously produced and it was a huge leap forward for them. And he'd almost bankrupted his business um, by trying to develop stronger glass and then got lucky with that little leak. So that was just like a, yeah. something that happened by accident. An interesting story. And we were wondering what, what your... Um, um, any kind of interesting or strange or innovative R&D cases well they're
1: all innovative so <laughs> <laughs> The one that comes to mind um, uh, it's a shame in a way that David Shearers isn't here because I'm sure he would think of others um, I think um, a lot of uh, people's inventions would come about mm. from with some degree of fortuitousness or mm. or luck uh the one that I can think of uh is a German craft beer. Mm-hmm. Uh they've got a beer called Power Cut. Oh wow. <laughs> uh and how, how that how that was discovered was uh they were brewing traditional pilsner and there was a power cut. Mm. Three times I think. And uh the whatever the brewmaster Br- 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 is that what it's called? Brewmaster, Br- is that? Mm. Head Brewer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think they're called Brow Oh, okay. Uh, oh, this is exciting. We're actually... Oh, look at, we're looking, look at that. We're actually looking at the sky. Yeah. But unfortunately, at the moment, we can't see uh, either Alpha or Proxima Centauri <laughs> or, indeed, Mercury, Venus or any other planet. Just open uh, the sky like that, a bit of a... Oh, um, what's that? Oh, eight. no, it's a seagull. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might
0: hear a it's few a, seagulls, guys. Sorry about that.
1: Yeah. A, um... So um the Braumeister uh looked observed Yes, he was a bit horrified because he thought that um oh, i don't know I don't, it all out. I don't know quite what he did, but um he observed he observed um something uh something going on or not going on was a result of the power cut so um what happened is um he he realized that in fact uh by the power being off for a bit that it was changing. The process yeah um I don't know well i I don't know well enough to be able to ex- explain to you exactly what happened um but so effectively what happened is now uh so this new beer has been formed called power cut, and now uh it's brewed by three in three stages, wow, and it's called power cut, and so were they able to sort of figure out exactly when the power
0: cut happened and all of that stuff, so, so well, to, I didn't know. It's well, obviously, the process
1: obviously so they he's observed. The changes, uh, presumably, you know, he, he, they, they, he observed the fact that it changed mm. and that, it, that it, it, it had potential. And then, um, presumably, uh, he's honed it now to perfection by seeing, well, what happens if I mm. turn the power off after three hours, or mm. one hour, or seven hours, or whatever. Wow, and now they have a perfect process, and they it's one of their best selling beers mm. called Power Cut. That's yeah, that's, that's, that's a pure one. fluke. Um I'm trying to think of um, my better clients and whether there was any element of um, luck in those. I'm struggling a bit when mm. I um, I always like the one, it's not, not got
0: anything oh, to do with luck, or, or just interesting ones, like um, like uh, you were telling me about, um, they cut a digger in half, completely...
1: Car it was, lorry. Well,
0: a lorry, a, a, lorry, uh, a yeah. lorry, just completely cut it in half and then added it's like a, like a limo you can imagine a limo. Doing Tom point is it I know it's not but, but just interesting R&D cases like where people have just done things completely like <laughs> but yeah it's not Tom quite Richard
1: any... legends mm. mm. yeah
0: just cut it in half see next week for what it's worth ah nice and um, <laughs> uh, you know not just accountants. There's a, there's an R and D project going on in the office at the moment that I keep looking at every morning when I go in because Tim's always messing about with it. Oh, it's the, the aquarium. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's quite innovative. Rather than um, a whole new new tank and everything, just build a new system underneath it that's uh, got the three the three different sections for, for all of the bacteria and everything to be to 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 be um, filtered properly nice little r&d project going on there so it's instilled in the values of of everyone in the aspenweight office i think that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very good <laughs> cool um so yeah if, we, if there's no no more stories you can think of on the r&d we can move on i, to the I
1: think i think that one uh i think uh, i will i will i would i would definitely get inundated with several from david shears which mm. we can do next week oh okay that'd be cool yeah
0: who's special so I think we'll go on to a bit of um, a bit of news a bit of news that's going on around the UK at the moment um, obviously very prevalent with um, the leadership race um, Johnson and Hunt which is say
1: that after a few beers yeah <laughs> <laughs> just about as little Charlie
0: so just so just uh, <laughs> So get get your thoughts basically on what's going on uh, with that at the moment. So, forerunner Mr. Johnson has promised. This is yesterday. Has promised mm. to to deliver an Australian-style point-based immigration system if he becomes prime minister. Yeah. And um, foreign secretary Mr. Hunt said he would cancel the tuition fee debts of young entrepreneurs who start businesses and employ people. I thought that was quite a good one. Yeah. So, what what your kind of thoughts on that were? Do you think? Do you still um? Do you still think? Uh, Mr Johnson's in it to win it. He's in it to win it. He's in it to win it,
1: or is likely to be the winner. <laughs> uh, certain. Certain, so still it's certain. It's just wasting time now. Ah,
0: okay. So
1: so that news is Johnson's certain. <laughs> so um, uh, I would support the, the, the immigration point system. Oh, okay. Um, For someone who
0: doesn't know much about that, um, what, what's that look like, the Australian... Immigration
1: point system. No, it's the things like, um, you know, who you are, what job you do, whether you add value. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. You know, whether you're prepared to go native sort of thing, you know.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) No, serious. I thought you said whether you're prepared to go naked. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Just (laughs) as well, Darren Ward
1: isn't here, that's all I can say. (laughs) Oh, yeah, no, so that's a good, that's a good one. Yeah, I think, um, I think you know my views on uh, further education which um, probably a lot of people listening to this of a left wing persuasion would hate me for saying but nonetheless I passionately believe it. I think the problem at the moment is too many people go to university and um, what that means is that uh, you've got probably half I would think at least half of all the people who go to university shouldn't really be there
0: mm. uh, or do you no... think it shouldn't be there in the same way like as in as in like um it... oh Oh no, you can do so many more different things now can't you in university um, well I
1: think see I think the thing is that of
0: course like you can do
1: you can do a, d- a degree in hair like colouring <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm fascinated by a lady called Rachel Shabby okay mm. um, who is uh Often to be seen on Sky News Press. Uh, what's it called? Um, it's on at nine thirty, ten thirty, eleven thirty, and it's um, it's like um, they're covering the the press stories of tomorrow. I can't remember what the show is called. Uh, she's probably on that nearly once a week. Uh, fascinating woman. I've never seen a more rabid, psychotic display in my life uh, as when she was on there. The, I think it was the night or the night after the election result where obviously Labour did massively better than was expected and she she behaved like they had won it was it was quite extraordinary mm-hmm. it's really odd actually she um she's technically uh I think she might even be technically Jewish she's born in Israel and she's a staunch Corbyn supporter and appears to be a staunch Marxist okay the reason I mentioned this is, is it, 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 it made me realize uh, what effectively people like Corbyn and Shabby stand for and, and, it, and it is a very good analogy for what we're talking about with universities so effectively what Marxists want is let's imagine that life is a three-story house mm-hmm. and let's say that someone like me was born on the first floor and I've through hard work managed to get myself onto the third floor what Rachel Shabby wants is for everyone to live on the ground floor mm. see what I mean? She doesn't want anyone to be able to get on the top floor she wants, she wants basically those people that could have got onto the top floor to come down to the ground floor mm-hmm. so that everyone is better off so in Rachel Shabby's so she, she is of the opinion um, she said this live on telly that over one third of the UK was in poverty that's actually what she said right? and she backed it up by saying the UN agreed with that now what that actually meant was that this is what i understand it to mean something like 34% of people in the uk earn less than 350 pounds a week mm-hmm. okay which she has taken to mean that they're in poverty mm-hmm. uh, well you know it's interesting because i you know 17 18 grand doesn't go a long way these days <coughs>
0: does it what what but, was very interesting was what ross said yesterday is so if you earn 1000 pounds a year then you're 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 that's in top fifty percent, uh, uh, top fifty percent of the whole world. Yeah.
1: So that puts it into perspective as well, doesn't it? Like, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But obviously, a a, a pygmy in Papua New Guinea doesn't have to pay no. a thousand pound a month rent, does yeah, he? Yeah. So, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the other <clears> thing. But it yeah, it's interesting when you think of
0: the amount that we do actually earn in the UK. But yeah, it's obviously relative to
1: what we need to pay for. Yeah. So so Rachel Shabby would be of the opinion that. Um, let's say you had 60 million people in the UK. So she would say that rather than have 20 million people earning 17 grand and 1 million people earning more than, I don't know, 125,000, I don't know, whether. I, don't, I don't quite know, it'd be something like that, wouldn't it? Mm. She would say she would rather that 60 million people earn 24,000 pounds, mm. do you see what I mean? Mm so the people that could have earned a million aren't allowed to earn a million and they're doing that so that people on 17 can have more money Mm. you know which is what communism is all about Mm. of course the thing is is what people like her don't understand is um, is that people like me then wouldn't exist Mm. so your career wouldn't exist Mm. (laughs) because there would be no incentive for anyone to do that And, and that's why I love the market economy so much because you know, I've created sixty jobs. I believe I will go on to create another hundred jobs, just mm-hmm. just directly for me. Let alone the indirect network. So, for, to me, that is that is exactly that is the right way to deal with situation. Mm-hmm. Somebody working for Aspen weight that starts off at eighteen grand has every expectation if they're good enough to earn more than one hundred thousand pounds. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. So, she said she also said that um, that in Britain today it was a lie and a fallacy to say that people who were on the ground floor could never get to the top floor mm. but it's not true is it no
0: of course because I have yeah. yeah
1: you could you know people are doing it now yeah you know exactly. it's a choice I've given pay rises as large as 12 grand in one go to people in Aspen Wait in the last two years mm. I gave someone 6 grand yesterday mm. you know who deserved it so, um, you know, this is got a serious amount of money, you know. It's, mm. So the fact is, you know, at the moment, Marxists are putting around this lie that capitalism doesn't work and it's finished. Uh, and it's just hysterically barking mad. I mean, it's so bonkers. It's not even, it's unfortunate that, you know, people like Shabby will, and, and I think the thing that annoys me as well is why, why Sky and the BBC, et cetera, Think it's all right for her to be so prominent? I don't understand why. You know, you've got some sort of delusional Marxist person spouting. Have you got? um, Have you got
0: anyone who's like on their channels reporting it from the other side, or like from a different perspective? Oh
1: God, yeah. If you if you if you go to YouTube, like I do, you've got a lot of. people with their own similar sort of things to us. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, but not actually on Skylight as in like like a... No, like as a a on YouTube, I said. Yeah, on YouTube, yeah. Yeah, so people like doing stuff like us, yeah. podcasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and the predominantly they are right-wing or mm. Brexit folk, you know, they're pro-Brexit, mm. anti-Marxist, you know. Uh, so I actually watched a programme last night that was anti-Rachel Shabby, basically mm. saying this is a... And, and the guy get, uses quite insulting language, you know, he calls her a something bitch and... <laughs> Marxist, whatever, you know, yeah,
0: yeah, so yeah, no,
1: uh, on the media, of course, there's a balance. I think the point is is that, but that's not that the YouTube's BBC. what not... well, they do, you know, well, they, the BBC has now been called the Boris Bashing Channel, is not it? Oh, okay, <laughs> BBC Boris Bashing Channel. I don't know. <laughs> oh, well, than, sorry, yeah, <laughs> <Just say Bishop. laughs> well, sorry, we'll that's joke. another channel, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <there. laughs> that's one you have to pay for. <laughs>
0: uh.
1: Yes. Um, anyway, so I think I think the Tory thing's just gone on too long now. It um, was some re- very um, entertaining banter in the, in the, in the Commons this week, so uh, Theresa May found, found some balls or whatever and um, really tore into Corbyn about uh, what a terrible man he was and how he should never be Prime Minister, which I rather enjoyed. <laughs> uh, and-, and, of course, we had the thing yesterday with, um, I think, over 100... Labour MPs signing a motion to say how disgusted they were that Chris Williamson, was, I think it's it his name, has been readmitted into the Labour membership. This is a blatantly proven anti-Semitic MP. Mm. Um, and of course, Corbyn did as usual, had nothing to do with me. Uh, from my point of view, I, I mean, apart from the fact that obviously I'm a friend of Israel, um, part of me sort of sits there and thinks good you know because Labour are just going from a disaster to disaster mm. you know I mean they're, they're the first party in history to be taken to court over being provenly racist and then um, and then they go and do something it's just extraordinary mm. you know as um, as uh, as I said to my wife uh, last night it'd be like asking Dr Crippen to give counselling to women mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who Doctor Crippen is. He killed, he killed lots of women. Ah, oh, okay. <laughs> Bastard. <laughs> so there's the irony. Um <coughs> So anyway. Um I'd quite like to talk about Callum's question. If, oh okay. If that's a good sign.
0: Okay, not not a little bit a little bit about Brexit first. Okay, well will we'll talk to you about it. Just um um so just from news yesterday there was a um there was a report by the University of Leuven. Um so Where's that? So, even i'm guessing it's in france it sounds like it's in uh, france sounds like belgium to me. or belgium yeah <laughs> <laughs> and it says the eu-wide economy will shrink 228 billion in the immediate aftermath if leaders fail to convince britain's next prime minister to back Theresa May's brexit deal so if they leave a no deal um yeah the report commissioned on behalf of the flanders department of foreign affairs I don't know um, Flanders when, is in Belgium ah okay so it's in, this in Belgium <laughs> this university warns that the scenario would result in 1.2 million job losses and then it goes on to say the different uh, job losses per country and all yeah, that, to that make, that's just obvious yeah so so that shows how we're in st- like a stronger stead than, than is we always have relayed. been it's not, that's not new yeah I mean, but,
1: but it's not what's reported <laughs> they, as much well, I don't because, because what's reported is ignorance and, 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 and people that say it a have been told things that are wrong in the first place, and secondly, they're not intellectually clever enough uh mm-hmm. to work out whether it's true or not. I mean, uh, obviously, you know, I have a certain advantage insofar as I'm not stupid, and secondly, I am a trained economist. Uh so the fact is that Britain massively uh sells massively buys more from the EU than it sells to the EU. Mm. Therefore, massively, so not even close, you know. Uh Germany, on the other hand, for instance, is Germany and France are massive beneficiaries of uh, the EU. You could argue even that, for instance, that Greece and Italy hurt so that Germany doesn't hurt.
0: Mm.
1: That'd be, you could say that. Greece has no place in the EU at all. It doesn't fit. Its economy is not fitted to be in a single currency or a single market. The shape of its economy, which is sort of agrarian stroke tourist um, just doesn't fit into the great industrialization model of Germany, for instance. Uh, so effectively what's happening is is that the Greek currency is overvalued, overpriced, and the German currency is underpriced. So Germany is a massive net beneficiary of the EU system. Mm. I'm not sure of the exact figures, but I think Germany sells something like £600 million of cars to the UK. It's some ridiculous figure like that, right?
0: Mm.
1: So if you take your figure, um, which is about a quarter of a billion, uh, I think. Sorry, how So a quarter of a trillion, sorry. You said 228 billion, didn't you? Um, it was 228 billion, yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> so uh, that's a quarter of a trillion, roughly. Mm. So our economy, I think we wrote it yesterday, was 2.6, was it?
0: Trillion.
1: Yeah. Mm. So that's one. So that's that's be like mocking one tenth of the UK's. And then we decided that EU's was nineteen trillion all put together. Was that right? Mm -hmm. Was it something like that? Around
0: that,
1: yeah. So put this in perspective. We're talking about it was still less than America, I remember. We're talking about the EU contracting by one point three percent. That's what your numbers would suggest.
0: Mm.
1: Which doesn't sound too bad on the face of it, but one point three percent, I guess uh you know across 28 countries is is probably quite a lot isn't it Mm. um but the thing that always gets me about remainers is um you know while clearly uh it'd be wrong to think that there would be no consequences of brexit and or you know maybe maybe more pronounced by a no deal brexit um the fact is is that they need us more than we need them. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, we, you know... If we were able to buy alternative products from other countries outside the EU, then the EU would ultimately massively regret what they did to us, wouldn't it? Mm.
0: Yeah, so let's, let's do it. So to us, it makes no difference it, to us.
1: We, 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 we would lose very little from... Our, our export market would suffer very little from... The EU not buying our goods anymore, whereas the the EU will suffer greatly. Mm. But that's always been the case.
0: Mm. Oh, there we go. And um, and and so, Cameron sent a few questions in. Yeah. And and he was just this is this is a quite cool <laughs> <laughs> downtown bridge, Yeah, that's it. Um, he wanted he wanted to know uh, just in general, general, general. Yeah. What, what are your top general's, three? General is quite a good. Um, uh, top Where? three war, war generals or army leaders or kings or emperors would be if you had to
1: choose your top three and the reasons why and yeah it's an interesting managed. question that and um, I think um, probably uh, I'm going to focus on the war aspect because I think to, to, to try and answer a question about uh, you know who's the best king stroke war you know, that just seems to be as, 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 as completely different points really I mean someone who was the best king may not be a, a good a Good general or war leader, so um, I have to say that based on uh, so obviously, uh, I did history A level and um, uh, I've been massively interested in history all my life and still am. Uh, in my considered opinion, the finest general relative to his resource of all time is Gustavus Adolphus of Sweden.
0: Mm.
1: Okay, you've probably never even heard of, nope. <laughs> <laughs> um. Gustavus Adolphus, uh, basically, um, so, you know, he would have been fighting against um, people in the Baltic, you know, so Poles and Russians and so on and so forth. Uh, and his, he, he basically dragged Sweden from being a sort of a average country to being probably the country you would least want to fight in a war. Mm-hmm. So he, he would, he would, he, uh Earns my respect. I remember writing essays about him. So, uh, based on all known facts that I have, I, and I say you've got, to, I think you've got to look at things. It's a bit like trying to say, like, um, is the manager of Cardiff City or something a, a worse or better manager than the manager of Liverpool? Mm. You know, because the manager of Liverpool's got say five hundred billion pounds to spend, yeah, and the manager of Cardiff City's only got twenty million pounds to spend. So, you know, I think quite often. Um, Managers that... So, for instance, let's give, give you a good example. Um, is his name Dick... Dick... Uh, Sean... Whatever, the manager the manager of Burnley, anyway. I know his name begins with D. Um, so, you know, you could argue that his achievement in keeping Burnley in the Premiership and doing so well in their first season up was much better than anything, say, Mourinho mm. ever did, you know? Mm. So so I say you know for for better or worse uh, my my studies took me to saying that Gustavus Adolphus should be regarded as the greatest military tactician of all time Mm -hmm. I think um, the people you'd have to mention uh, while you were doing any review Alexander the Great obviously Um, obviously it's very difficult Um, I did uh, funny enough I did some research I know it's very sad of me I did some research on my sunbed um, about researching some of the things that happened in sort of Uh, antiquity as they they call it you know sort of um, sort of around Alexander's time a bit before and after Alexander of course um, was the king of Macedonia which is in northern Greece which is a completely separate place from the country that was also called Macedonia which I think is now called something else Macedonia isn't it Anyway, there's a, there's a there's a separate country, mm, okay. which has got nothing to do with Alexander the Great, mm. right? just to be clear, mm. which is down... Um, so it's more southerly. Yeah, that's right. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, mm. And to distinguish the two, so the Macedonia that Alexander was the king of is part of Greece. Mm. And then there's another Macedonia, which is a separate country, which is now called something else. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what it's called been but it's got a, it's got a word in front of it mm. uh, so when you consider that uh, Alexander the Great uh, you know I I, his father was Philip by the way he was also quite a great king and um, effectively they became the powerhouse of Greece and then of course he marched you know, incredible for the time you know marched all the way up into India um, and the legacy of Alexander the Great's Rule is amazing, you know. When you consider, so you've now got blonde people running around in regions, people with blue eyes and blonde hair. Mm-hmm. That's a total legacy of Alexander the Great. Wow. Um, I think he died when he was like thirty-three. Drank too much, killed his best mate when he was drunk. Really? With a spear, yeah. Oh wow! To read about it. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you, I mean, probably by today's times, he probably would be regarded as a bit don't know unbalanced or something i don't know i mean as a military genius um undoubted so probably his achievement in terms of his conquest probably would be the greatest of all time so you'd have to put him um probably the battle that i know this isn't quite what Callum asked for but it it just inspires me to say this the the battle that most inspired me and still does is uh the the Spartan 300. Have you seen that film? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, And the Spartan general was a guy called Leonidas. Mm. And uh, actually, uh, uh, it's it's actually uh, not true to say there are only 300 Spartans there. The total force was over a thousand people. Oh, was there? Yeah, there were Thebans and uh, Uh. other. But there, people, were there were 300 Spartans, and that's there were 300 Spartans, but the I total know. army was something like 1,100. Oh, okay. I didn't know that until no, I bothered to look that. last week. Mm. So actually, there were. And what was interesting is the Spartans were actually the only part of that force that fought the last man. The Thebans surrendered en masse to the to the Persians. Oh wow! Anyway, uh, it's at the time so uh, the writers of the time the great you know, people like Herodotus and people like that um, they actually reported that the Persian force was up to a million strong mm. uh, today it's considered that as a minimum the Persians had 70,000 people fighting against a thousand mm. that's the that's the least but it's, it could be they said they don't know uh, it could have been up to 300,000 people Certainly so you think a thousand people fighting seventy to three hundred times more than them uh, and of course I think I think uh, I think that the, the effectively the 300 and their chums um, killed you know best part of ten thousand Persians um, and of course what was what was noble about that is, is is probably the greatest what you would call the greatest last stand mm. uh, uh, it was a strategic last stand uh, which allowed the rest of the army to get away mm. uh, and again w- one thing that people don't know, I mean probably people don't really know about this battle anyway other than Gerard Butler being being Leonidas and mm-hmm. shouting around in his Scottish accent with a little blood flying around <laughs> um, what actually happened is the Persians then went on to run sacri- um Athens mm. within two weeks I think of that battle so they entered Athens they uh, ransacked it the Greeks allowed them to do that by the way and then very shortly after that there was a major sea battle whose name escapes me at the moment Um, and uh, the Greeks massively defeated the Persians in the sea battle and uh, the Persians slunk back to where they came from with their tail between their legs Um, so in terms of again you could argue without that sea battle and if it wasn't for the bravery of Leonidas etc you and I wouldn't be here not as we are today it's generally considered that Greece without Greece there wouldn't be western civilization. did you know that? no yeah so the Greeks are the founders of probably you know the pop music you could say probably without the Greeks there wouldn't have been any pop music without Greeks there wouldn't have been you know all sorts of modern culture Banksy and people like that you know wow you know mm-hmm. so uh so um, And you know, just the, another one from that um, from that
0: battle uh, interesting fact you told me about um where the where the term marathon came from.
1: the guy that ran to report, yeah. Yeah he so ran twenty six miles for hundred and ten yards or yeah. it was and dropped dead after give yeah. it his message. And that's mm. why the marathon is twenty six miles for hundred and ten yards, because of that. Yeah. Interesting pattern. Battle of Marathon, as Americans call it. Mm. Um You'd have to say, um you know, just wrapping up Callum's point, and I know Callum himself will be um I would like to talk about the sea being uphill before we finish, if okay. that's all right. Yeah. Um, to see what the time is, Drew. Is it nine o'clock? It is yeah. nine o'clock, yeah, exactly. Um, so um, one would have to conclude on balance that I would say that in terms of raw ability, Napoleon was a better general than Wellington. I know that there'll be many people who won't agree with that, and I shall get some a lot of um, mail on that, but I don't see... I would have said that was an irrefutably correct... And to be fair, when uh, we are going on about Tom's point about uh, you know R and D or innovation coming out through luck, um, at the point in the Battle of Waterloo at around about six o'clock in the evening, we were losing,
0: mm.
1: <laughs> and it was only um, the arrival of the black, black, uh, black coated. Prussians led by Marshal Blucher that came in late in the day uh, that turned the tide Mm -hmm. so without the Prussians turning up this is one of the things that's so upsetting and frustrating about the First World War because uh, we'd always, as as I told you before we'd always fought against France and we'd always fought with the Germans
0: Mm.
1: so what happened in the First World War was in a way a bit like a civil war you could argue
0: Mm
1: -hmm. you know we were, like, fighting against our ancestral cousins, mm. Mm. you know? I mean, obviously, I'm not sure whether people today would like to... would really say that uh, we and the Germans were particularly similar. I don't know what you think about that.
0: Yeah, in terms of um, genetic history.
1: Well, yeah, but in terms of behaviour, I would suggest not. Mm. I mean, other than Boris Becker lives in England, I don't know about... <laughs> <I> <laughs> he guess. does. Oh, OK. <laughs> um, so... Uh, yeah, so I, I think Napoleon uh, would, would have to be uh, considered to be... I mean, another great general was obviously Julius Caesar, who was uh, an amazingly skillful tactician, um, truly brilliant. Obviously, Maximus Decimus Meridius. <laughs> That's a joke, because mm-hmm. uh, he's, not, he's not real. but uh, <laughs> uh, he, He's the best film general of all time. <laughs> and I, I'll pick up one of the other Cavaliers' points. So Gladiator is one of the top three films of all time, in my opinion. Um, we might talk about the other best films next week. Um, so I'm just trying to think of any other generals that um, uh, someone like Rommel Rommel, um, German general in the Second World War would have to be considered to be a great general I think mm. uh, probably greater than Montgomery for instance you know taking the Napoleon against Wellington mm. uh, thing um, I mean people that probably are as famous as they ought to be you got people like um, uh, Moore who won the Corona and then got killed he was he was an amazingly brilliant general. Um, uh, Churchill's one of Churchill's Duke of Marlborough was a fantastic general. Um, I mean, you could argue that that um, that um, Cromwell was. You know, I don't know whether he himself was or his, his, his generals, you know, people below him. But uh, you know, they they uh, the, the probably the again one of the people in history that always grab my imagination there's a guy called Prince Rupert, Rupert who was in charge of the Royalist Cavalry during the Civil War mm. I don't think uh, there was ever a battle that he was in that they lost mm. I think it was Prince Rupert of Esterhazy but I'm not sure about that so I that's something, a, something for uh, mm. for people to check out so um, off the top of my head those 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 would be my uh, mm. top generals I can't uh, uh, you know you've got people like Charlemagne um, would, would obviously rank up there. Um, Henry V, um, obviously, probably uh, the battle, the victory at Agincourt, is, is is again probably one of the greatest uh, underdog achievements of all time. I would suggest. Oh wow! So there's a
0: lot of in, uh, interesting um, names for people
1: 1415
0: mm, 1415. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A good bit of interest in uh, reading people for, can go into with that, mm-hmm. I think. And what have you been listening to this week, Paul? What music have you been listening to?
1: Oh, i tell you. Um, oh, we were going to talk about the sea, weren't we, before? Oh, okay, well. yeah, sorry. Um, but uh, I was in Kefalonia last week, which, um, as you know, I particularly like. And uh, due to the power power horse that is Tina, uh, I even went to see a new client that... Um, that uh, makes uh, ice cream with practically no sugar. Uh, that's uh, one of its main consistencies is aloe vera. Oh, okay. um, Who was probably looking to open up in London? So that was that was really uh, interesting. Uh, probably one of my. If you said to me, you know, what's a perfect day for Paul? Uh, being on a boat, swimming in the sea, would be uh, <coughs> right up there. <coughs> now, of course, if you then put. Being in a boat, swimming in the sea, eating, drinking, and listening to great music yeah. in the sunshine. I mean, like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> if I could just die and live forever, this yeah. would be. Yeah. yeah. This would be- so, in, a, in this fantastic taverna in a place called Anti Samos, um, for those of you that have watched Captain Crelly's Mandolin, um, it's the beach in the film where the Italian um, army, or the Italian. Band led by Nicolas Cage, where they're practicing. That's where they're doing all their singing in the showers and everything. Ah, okay. Um, so it's quite a famous uh, beach because obviously it's real. You know, Captain Credit isn't. A, Captain Crowley is a book, but the, the the real story of the Germans being in Catalonia is real. There's, I mean, talk about this is this is a place that you've got to go to. I mean, in fact, there was a guy there that that looked like it could have been Drew, fifteen years older. Oh, I, 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 I mean, this guy. I said to you, you, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be in Kefalonia You deserve to be in Glasgow. There's, there's a waiter that served us, right? He's probably forty three, something like that. And um, if I you imagine now this beautiful sea with this beautiful beach and this great taverna, and I mean great, you know, and we're sat on this long table, and uh, our host Mario has brought. So I've got my own bottle of wonderful wine, you know, for a Greek, Greek wine that I like. Um. And Mario ordered us, obviously, you know, all the normal stuff like halloumi and all the Greek salad, and then we had freshly caught tuna, swordfish, Mm -hmm. and anchovies. Sounds
0: amazing.
1: Right? Yeah. Now, what what really what really made this this is why I'm saying this. Playing like real loud, right? Mm -hmm. And 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 we were there for an hour and a half. There wasn't one song that was played that wasn't uh, a British-inspired song Mm -hmm. or a British song. So basically, they played stuff like. No, 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 mm. you don't love me, and I and Bob Marley, mm. Bob Marley and his Harley mm-hmm. stuff like that. But what was really, really, really like way out, I mean, you would have been there, like, and it's it blasting out as well, you know, is Led Zeppelin? Oh, yeah, nice, Deep Purple. Oh, smoke oh. on the water, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you had all this stuff blaring out, and I was just like, you know, awesome. So, uh, absolute pleasure to, so say basically pretty heavy rock and reggae mm. they played nothing else that sounds know. awesome <laughs> <laughs> it was it, was, it was, oh, I was, oh, I was just I was just in heaven you know mm. um in terms of what I've been listening to this week I've actually been in the office uncommonly a lot for me this week um that's because of um uh massive uh deadline responsibilities and things I had to do which fortunately I think I seem to have managed to pull off um, so I, uh, I do like to listen to music when I can. So, uh, this week on the whole, I think it's been, uh, reasonably mellow, you know? Um, uh, and I think, oh, one of the things I to I say has got to make made me laugh is, uh, I'm doing a big presentation at Swindon Expo next week. And, uh, I was looking through the presentation that Ross had done for me and I was thinking about one of my favourite lyrics which is uh, from a song called Messages by OMD Memories are uncertain friends so I wrote it down on this and he put it in, the, in my presentation <laughs> so I've decided that because I'm so naughty I'm going to let it go yeah. but just one thing for you to think about today uh, Memories are uncertain friends what does that mean to you? Uh, what do you think that means? Mm. so perhaps uh, you'd be kind enough to let me know uh, let, let me, Drew or I know uh, in whatever shape or form you want to do that Let's um, uh, I say I do. I do want to uh, talk about the sea being uphill before I go. But as Drew asked me, what we're going to play today is um, a, a wonderful track called uh, Utopia by the wonderful Goldfrapp, uh, who come from Bath. Alison Goldfrapp's legend one of my favourite people. Almost like uh, nearly as talented as Kate Bush, but not quite. Sort of thing. You know, real genius. Every record is different. Fantastic. Uh, she obviously went on from here to, to, for, for a bit to do. A sort of glam brought glam-, glam rock back, you know, the ooh la la, was ooh la la la, ooh la la la, la la and all that sort of stuff. But at this time, it's really beautiful stuff, more like the Cocteau Twins or that sort of that sort of genre. So that's so. I hope I think if you're sitting in your car, or you're fortunately not in in your car, sitting at home, listening to Utopia, is going to take you. Take you to a place. Close your eyes mm. and let, let, let Utopia it take, you, take, it take you, you to wherever you. <laughs> it takes you. Now, the final nonsense I'm going to talk about today <laughs> is... Um, is uh, I was in the swimming pool last week, rather a lot... Because I spent about half of my time in the swimming pool on my holiday. And uh, I was looking out to sea, which is quite close to uh, the, the swimming pool. so probably 400 yards. Mm. Looking through the gates of our villa. And I noticed that the further I looked away from the villa the higher up the sea was. Mm. So if you looked at the gate, the the, the, the the end, what we would call the horizon, was practically halfway up the gate. Mm. So I was sat there thinking about this. So I thought, well on the face of it, you'd have to conclude that the sea was uphill. Because mm. I shouldn't be able to see it, should I? Mm. If I'm lying down here and I'm looking across, then you would expect, if the sea was flat, you wouldn't be able to see anything. Mm. But in fact you can. Mm. So, I postulated, so I basically sent out this email to people saying that I just realised that the sea was uphill. <laughs> <laughs> Quite extraordinary the responses I got, yeah. uh, including from my son, sort of, Dad, you're an in income poop, of course it isn't. <laughs> yeah. I'm a bit surprised you would say this, yeah. You know, don't you realise, blah, blah, blah. But of course I realised it, you know. Yeah. But my, what my point was is, is up until about 1400, um, it was officially believed by the Vatican, et cetera, and and people used to uh, die, you know, be burnt at the stake for saying otherwise, uh, that the the earth was in fact flat. Mm. So that's what people believed. So what my point was, people, isn't that I'm stupid and I actually believe that the sea is uphill. My point is, if you actually believed that the earth was flat, in my intellectual opinion, you would have to conclude that the sea was uphill because there wouldn't be an horizon, would there? Do you see my point? Mm. That is my point. So uh, what I intellectually concluded in my last knowledge sitting there in the pool (laughs) was was in fact that ancient people should either have thought one of two things. Hmm, that's interesting. The sea goes uphill. Or if they were really, really clever. And again, when you consider that Leonardo da Vinci drew a helicopter...
0: Mm.
1: You would think that Leonardo da Vinci would have gone, ah, well, it obviously obviously isn't flat then. Mm -hmm. Because the fact that it appears to be uphill, there must be a reason for that. Mm. And obviously, you you and I discussed this. I drew a globe. And because I believe that the horizon is 21 miles away. Mm. So actually, at any point in the globe, the globe is curving around, isn't it? Yeah. If if you see what I mean. So anyway, so I'd just like you all to think about uh, the the flat surface and whether people would like to rebut my assertion that if the earth was flat the sea must be uphill so that's that's the uh, intellectual point i shall leave you with today uh, and uh, again, i'd like to thank drew for his help today and have a good day everyone
0: yes have a good day have a good week and enjoy utopia by goldfrap